0: Our Father, this morning we just want to be intentional about putting our attention and our focus on the things that are most important, and that is your word, and that is concentrating and only honoring you. So Lord, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts this morning. May the words, the message touch our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Nati Cordova, a San Francisco resident, had a trip that she had planned for a very, very long, long time. And when she got her green card on the mail, she welcomed her dream of finally going to visit her family in Mexico City. But when her plane landed unexpectedly in Guadalajara, she thought, well, this is kind of odd. Turns out that she had to pass through an immigration checkpoint and before she could board her next connecting flight to Mexico City. But things didn't go as planned. Airport security confused her identity and with someone else's. And so, shortly after, she found herself that she was being escorted to a small room without windows. She was afraid and shocked and in dismay. And she was questioned for 10 minutes straight. And finally, she was let go so that she could catch her next flight. And I don't know if you ever had a similar experience and whether you're like Nati on your way to a city to visit your family or maybe not a travel destination, but possibly, just possibly a journey of faith. And along the way, you've experienced detours or interruptions or even surprises. And just like Nati, you find yourself trying to find the way to your destination, to your goal. And for many of us, the reality is that, right? We still want to go somewhere. We are journeying. We are wanting something better. And I know that that is the case because people don't just show up to church on a Sabbath morning. Because, because they know their way, because they know where they're heading, confidently through life. The reality is that we all come in this place, in this room, because we are seeking, we are looking for some type of spiritual direction, for some type of hope that there is a better future, there is a better restoration. So amidst of all our trials, our tribulations, our confusion, whatever it may be, the reality is that we are searching and that we are looking. And the truth is that many of us along the way in our spiritual journeys, we have encountered detours, interruptions, and even surprises. This reminds me a lot of the allegory of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim Progress. Sometimes the main character there is Christian and he is heading to the celestial city and on the way, he encounters many things along the way. Many times I picture ourselves just like that main character, Christian, trying to figure out things as we're going along the way. And this reminds me of the passage this morning. Thank you, Peggy, for reading that for us. Paul, at this, in this juncture was not Paul, was Saul. And Saul was this religious leader, And he was zealous and he was passionate. This was this religious man. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9 as we continue through our series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. And the Bible says that he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord when And he went to the highest priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, before we get into the details of the story, this is a familiar story. Many of us would say, oh, I already heard Everything about the story, this familiar story, there's not going to be anything new. Just hold on with me and, and, and journey with me through this because I find it very interesting that this person was extremely religious. This person was extremely zealous. This person was extremely committed. And yet he was persecuting people in the name of God. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that crazy? Sometimes when we look back and throughout the annals of history, we have noticed or we can notice that the church, the religious church, has often captured a very bad rap. Um, When we look, especially after the first and second century, the church that goes into the third century, especially throughout the Middle Ages, is a completely different church than the church that went in. As we notice, the church, it seems like it was, they're in a toboggan and they're on top of a mountain, on top of the hill. And the, the church is letting down on top of the hill and it's coming down. And the toboggan is just letting down fast and quickly. And that is just a metaphor into how quickly the church entered into apostasy after the first and second century. And we actually see and we hear this outcry, as Rob taught us this morning in the book of Revelation. The Adventist church has often historically had this outcry of the three angels' messages that are in Revelations chapter 14. And we know the three angels' message by memory, especially chapter, uh, the message number two, right? Fallen, fallen is Babylon this religious system that uses religious to, religion to oppress people. But historically, the Adventist church has warned the world that people will do uh, or, will use, or will use religion or what they will do through religion. And so we find that Saul himself was extremely a religious person. And if we were to read Acts 22, actually this story is found three times. Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. But if we read in Acts 22, we would find that Saul's resume was extremely stacked. We would find that Saul's resume, he is there in Acts 22 boasting, actually, about who he used to be. He's boasting that he was a true Jew and that he was raised in Jerusalem. That he was raised under the greatest rabbi and teacher of his time, Gamaliel. His resume was so stacked, then that and so full that he was helping persecute and imprison Christian man and woman. So Saul appears in this con text to be a microcosm of what people of God often, often have become. Not just persecuted, but often become persecutors. Building unloving communities and even using the Bible or proof text to oppress others in the name of God. Sometimes I am reminded uh, Abraham, story of Abraham in Genesis. Uh, Abraham was called by God at this juncture. He was not Abraham, but he was Abram. And God had promised to him that he was going to be the father of all nations. and For him to trust in God. And what did Abram do? Did he decide to trust in God? He said, no, I'm going to do it my own way. So he decided to have a child with his wife's servant, Hagar. And then after the child was born, we learn in the story that he literally sends his wife, a single mother, in the desert without any food and water to literally die there in the desert. We are reminded of Saul, who he received the Spirit of God. And, and, and he was a good king. He was the first king in Israel. But then he, de- he departed from, from the Lord. And what happened? The spirit was withdrawn. And we see that Saul actually goes down and visits a medium down in the city of Ender, trying to communicate with Samuel. I am reminded of Herod, who he was the king during that time. And he actually was threatened by another king and decides to kill all the children in Bethlehem because he wanted to be the only king. I am reminded of Caiaphas, who he was the high priest in Jerusalem, who, who he was supposed to be the religious leader in Jerusalem. He was supposed to be the good guy, leading people back to Jesus, back to the gospel. He was the high priest in Jerusalem. But instead, he sent Jesus to, pi- to Pilate for his execution. I am reminded of the church in the Middle Ages. They were supposed to be a beacon of truth. But what happened? The paganism and philosophies, Greek philosophies, creeped into the church and intermingled with the truth of the Bible. And they were treated as truth. And so we often find that there's people that say today, nowadays, I love Jesus, but I don't like religion. It reminds me of a quote by Mahatma Gandhi, this famous philosopher uh, that he is known as for his philosophy of nonviolence, when he says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ's." Saul genuinely uh, thought that he was doing the right thing, and that everyone else was wrong. The text describes this in vivid terms. It says there in verse cha- in verse two that he was breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, those who followed the way, meaning those who followed Jesus. This small Christian community, while he was being a good religious leader, but soon he was going to experience a rude awakening, an interruption in ancient times, Judaism was often tolerant of religious groups such as Pharisees or, or Sadducees, but only in so far as they were respectful to the Jewish traditions. But here we see in Scripture that there is an emerging minority, this community of believers called the way, who oppose the values of the temple. They were called the way because they followed the way of Jesus who is the only truth of salvation. Here we see the expression that sheds light on the foundation of Christianity. And what is this? That ethically, the only way to to be saved is Jesus. this, This way is a way of being. We have often talked about here that what Jesus is offering us is a way of being, a lifestyle. Those who follow Jesus live according to what he has commanded. And they do it so joyfully, not because of what he is telling us to do and to obey him, but because we love him. As a pure traditionalist, Saul could not tolerate this new way. And I wonder sometimes if we are so comfortable going through the motions and going through the same thing over and over again. Maybe we cling too much to traditions of the church and we hold to what is fast, what is truth from the Bible and from God to continue this persecution against the Christians outside of Judea saw needed official documentation from the Jewish high priest the Sanhedrin the highest court in Israel authorizing him to the to arrest the followers of Jesus those that are called the way because you know those were seen these Jews were seen as wayward Jews and to transfer them back to Jerusalem to be tried and punished but this is just the opening scene. We have just read two texts, and this is just the context. This is the opening scene that is bringing us to the story. And this is important because we see a little glimpse into what Saul was like, what was in his heart. And I ask, can the same thing happen to us today? Can we be here in body and mind but our heart is so far away from Jesus. Can we have the same mentality and be so zealous for the things of God and we uphold certain things in the church, but maybe we are also, because we think that we are doing the right thing, but maybe we are so far from what God is calling us to do. And it says that he was on his way to Damascus. And we see this conversation between Jesus and Saul in verse 3. And it says this way, verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and, and what happens here is that the men that are traveling with Saul, they hear the, the voices of this conversation, but they cannot see Jesus themselves. Saul tries to get up and go to Damascus, but he is blind. And he needs to be let on the way to Damascus. He goes on to not eat for three whole days. Notice the words, Saul, Saul. This structure appears only six times in whole scripture. Six times. This repetition in the whole Bible. So you have Saul, Saul, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Martha, Martha. So what are these repetitions? What is this uh, trying to, to tell us? It is a way of Jesus telling somebody to hit the brakes, to, to listen, to not go so fast, to not go in a hurry, to finally open their eyes. It, it, it is like a way that Jesus knows our name and in this instance, Jesus says His name twice. You know why He repeats His name twice? Because Jesus is showing insistence on His part. It is this extreme me- measure that God will go so far for you because He loves you so much and He will not be relentless he would continue to be relentless for you and for me and he calls insistently for us to wake us up and thank god for those rude awakenings for those moments of interruption because during those moments of interruptions is when we have that aha moments when we realize that we really need of jesus Sometimes we go so much in a hurry, so much in a pace in our life that sometimes we need to hit the brakes. Sometimes we don't hit the brakes out of our own being, but sometimes we hit the brakes because we have to. There's no choice. Some some interruption, something happens in our lives that we have no choice than to hit the brakes so that we can finally see what's happening in front of us. This reminds me a lot of a poem by Dominic Santore that says, Light blinding all around us so suddenly without a sound, What could be possible my companions? Where are they and did they see what I did? Weak so weak I stand to my knees I fall. It is truly the end of it all. Lord, I haven't I've always been good, son of Israel, following your law to the T, I held by others to a higher esteem. Why should this happen to me? I open my eyes and I see it's light with no form. Light, I can see light, and what and that is all. That's that. A voice coming from the light. It must be my companions. I hear my name. Persecute you. Who are you? Lord Jesus. But he's dead. He must be. He can't be real. Kick against the goats. That what do you mean? Oh my. The followers of the way, Stephen the way he died, with a conviction beyond comprehension, soul like him, like Jesus, the rage that built up in me because of the peace that Stephen had in his death. Was I hiding from something deeper in my heart? Was I jealous of him? Did I desire that for myself, for my own faith? There was something in his eyes, an assuredness. It wasn't just blind faith. It was as if he knew personally of what he believed. And here I am on my knees, blind, struck down, stopped in my tracks. That's the Damascus Road experience. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you ever encountered that. It feels like an epiphany, whether it is a tragedy, whether it has been a disappointment that we have experienced, or maybe a bad diagnosis when we come from the doctor that has made us come to an awakening about what God is trying to do in our lives. Whatever the case, Whatever happens, you know I've been fortunate to see and experience the testimonies and people's life in this congregation. It's like I get a front row seats and hear the incredible stories that God has led you to this place. When we were when we we're encountering sufferings, when we we're encountering just terrible situations in our lives and how God has brought us back. And the reason that we're here is not because we have figured it out or because we haven't had a Damascus Road experience, but the reason why we're here is because we have had one and we realize that as we encounter Jesus, our life has never been the same. Just like Saul, when he was riding his horse horse towards Damascus, we've also been knocked off our horse and we hit the ground. And when we hit the ground, our face dirty from the dirt, from the ground, and we try to pick ourselves up and we look up and we see the shining light of Jesus. And the only thing and the only difference in that encounter is that encounter with Jesus. The only difference from the moment that we started to right now is the in-between that Jesus encountered. And sometimes it's good that we go through these situations, even though they're painful, even though they're difficult, because if it makes us meet Jesus, that is everything. So if you're going through that Damascus Road experience now, lean into it and let God lead you Trust in God. There is hope for a better tomorrow. God is with us. And it's not because we're not going to face temptations. We're not going to face trials. We're not going to face tribulations. But it is because God is with us. That's the difference. Folks, that's the difference. And so my friends, we can have peace that is more than everlasting. And we can say, it is well with my soul because God is with us. We don't have to face whatever is out there on our own. We can trust in God that He is with us. So may we enjoy that peace. May we lean into those moments of interruptions, into those detours of our lives. May we encounter Jesus through every situation as painful, as difficult as it is when we lost faith, when we feel like we can't go on. And may we grasp to the hand of Jesus so that we can continue for a better tomorrow. Our Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we have those encounters with You. That we can encounter you as we go through our trials and our tribulations and the things that we go through. And we know that we are not alone because you are with us. Help us to be um, just mindful of those encounters and to feel peace in our soul that we know that you are with us. Guide us and sustain us as we leave and be with us for the rest of the week and for days to come.